Nikki Ivy and uh, lucky you, you are listening to Sassholes. Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. We are revenue ops with a edge. <laughs> Jason KG and myself, Pete, have a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can always buy us a beer on Patreon slash Sassholes. Today's guest is Nikki Ivey. Nikki is CRO at Inclusive and a Sales Culture SME. She was recently recognized as a LinkedIn top voice and Salesforce top sales influencer. Nikki's career centers around community as a founding member of Sales for the Culture, contributing writer at Sistas in Sales, and a board member at Uncrushed, an organization working to promote mental health and sales. As co-founder of the recently acquired SDR Defenders, Nikki is driven by a deep desire to democratize access to the sales profession. But before we get to Nikki, we've got a sponsor for the show, NeuroNoodle. Hey, parents of athletes, get a doodle or noodle, which is a brain map. Before the season starts, they have a baseline to compare it to. You get a physical every year, right? Well, get a brain checkup before the season starts. Schedule an appointment now at NeuroNoodle.com. Hey, it only takes 20 minutes to get the data you need to ensure the quality of your athlete's future life. Carney. Oh, thank God yeah. you're picking on him today. Yeah, Pete. <laughs> yeah. KG. No, him. He missed the last Car- two episodes. Carney. In my defense, they were on the same day. But yes, Pete. <laughs> my friend, the librarian, recently got crushed by a pile of books. He's only got his shelf to blame. I mean, that's leave so bad. Leave us, leave us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net. KG, you, you know, got Pete, any I tried to draw a circle and it was pointless. Boom. Oh, you know what? Last week, the, uh, the article. Hey, on Carney, that, that mic will work very fine another 12 inches away from your trap. I know. All right. So I have a few shout outs here today. So first of all, congratulate um, – Rachel Rilling, who I used to work with at ZipRecruiter for starting as a new position as account executive emerging markets at Okta. You know, they have some software. They're pretty good. Yeah. Happy birthday to Annika Seeley. Anybody in, on the call heard of Annika Seeley before? No. Annika Seeley allegedly sold software at Oracle right next to Mark Benioff way back in the day. She is a legend in inside sales. And that is one awesome woman to follow. Not as awesome as Nikki, but um, and then a happy birthday. What? Did she have to code it? She did not have to code it. Uh, happy birthday! Happy birthday to Greg Smith. Happy birthday to Jana Racine. We used to work together at Business.com way back in the day. And uh, happy birthday to one of my favorites, Krista Bushko. She's absolutely amazing. And that's the shout-outs I got for today, Pete. Hey, do you hear that clacking? That's Carney typing. Carney, no, I didn't a shout out. Jesus, yeah, Carney, step back like two feet. Two I feet from the today. I did it earlier today. You're not smart enough to multitask, dude. All right. <laughs> Mike Snyder, I want to give him a shout-out for being promoted to Director of Partner Success at Flexera. Leah McKelvey, give her a shout out for being promoted to SVP of Corporate Development at Bullhorn. I also, I didn't write this down because I didn't want to be typing while you guys are doing it. Talk about Bullhorn. You you are yelling in the mic. I don't think I'm yelling in the mic. Help me out. KG's yelling in the mic. 
completely. Completely. Right. I can't I want to give a shout out also to even farther. Just even farther. I, I'm dead serious. I want to give a shout. I'm not even talking loud. I want to give a shout Talk out. Talk like to, that. Talk like that. To Perfect. Nikolay Pavlov. He is a, 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 a data or an engineer at People AI in the Ukraine. He got drafted into the war and he sent a picture to all of us yesterday. Uh, so proof of life. So I want to give him a shout out and say our thoughts are with him. Amazing. That's right. Stick it to him, man. Yeah. Put my Latvia hat on. Hey, Brent Groove, two years at Spins. Holy cow, that was a long time. Lori McPhee, two years at DocuSign. Ben Goldberg, we know him, three years at 1871. So does that make it 1874? Congratulate Wade Pearson for starting a new position as Chief Revenue Officer at Leo Force. Garrett German, or German, happy birthday. And then Mick Doheny, 31 years at Doheny's LLC. That's a long time, my boy, Mickey. Laura Trent, two years at Safe House Project. John Fuenio uh, shared a new position as Vice President Inside Sales at Colibra. Kate Lowry, Anybody know Kate Lowry? MBA, promoted to VP R&D Operations at Onsolve. Sorry for all the shout-outs, but that means more people listen to the podcast. <laughs> all right. KG, how do you know Nikki? I'm guessing she knows something about sales. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know Nikki. I only know of Nikki. Um, I, I went, uh, went searching for some people on the show. And I came across a LinkedIn post that was the uh, eight sales experts to follow in 2021. This came out in June, uh, June 14th of 2021. And, uh, and I read her, the little description that they put in here, co-founder of SDR Defenders. Nikki's a 10-year sales pro, built a large community of sales development reps through her motivational and tactical content. <laughs> and then I watched a couple of videos. I'm like, oh my God, we've got to get. Nikki on the uh, on the show, so uh, I I don't know her, I know of Nikki. So Nikki, thanks for taking a chance on us and and uh, coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no no worries. I'm having a good time already. You guys are making me blush. You can't tell because of my skin tone, so you'll just have to take my word for it. Uh, <laughs> but I can already tell this is going to be a blast. I can't wait to get into it. You got it. You got it. Well, honestly, tell us about yourself. Uh, how did you get here? You know, where, where you are today? I mean, you know, you're, you're now on this eight sales experts to follow and, uh, you've got a ton of followers on, on LinkedIn. Like, how did you get where you are today? Talk, tell us your story. Um, let's see, like many other salespeople, lots of sadness, chaos. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Well, I'm not actually kidding, but that's not, those aren't the things I would say that they got me here. We'll start here, Sounds right? Sounds like sales. <laughs> Uh, it's the who I am piece. Um, I guess I could sum it up the best. I'll tell you my three favorite things, uh, mm -hmm. words, wigs, and women in charge. These are the things I love. Mm -hmm. Uh, I say words because obviously, um, well, maybe it's not obvious, but I write a lot of content. Um, broadcast journalism is what I studied in school. And, you know, I just have always believed in the power of words to like move people. Um, so that's a huge part of who I am. Um, wigs, 
pretty self-explanatory, but part, for me, part of the fun of being a woman um, is to switch it up and just sort of revel in all of that um, and, and just be sort of upfront with all of those sort of frilly, frilly, girly, girly things that a lot of women in charge may feel like uh, we have yeah. to shy away from. But I'm that girl. My favorite color is pink and I like shoes. What do you want to do? Uh, yeah. and, and women in charge, clearly, um, that's, you read, I was looking to, um, I am looking to democratize access to the sales profession. And that is just because I, I believe in the upside of that to be life-changing for, for women, particularly yeah. mothers. How did you get, so I graduated with a degree in architecture, Nikki, <laughs> and, and, and then like fell into sales. <laughs> okay. Uh, how did you go from broadcast journalism into sales? Well, um, the through line for me, as I mentioned earlier, is is words. But the more interesting story is how I got my first uh, sales job. Uh, so I was with a friend of mine. This was uh, almost 10 years ago. I was living in Hinesville, Georgia. Hinesville, if you're from there. And, uh, and I went with a friend of mine. She wanted to buy a car. So we go to this used car lot and there's this salesperson and he's just super like bippity boppity boop you know he's like a sales robot he won't he won't like deviate from what I could tell I wouldn't have called it a script then but from what I could tell was like something he had rehearsed and my friend wasn't like she wasn't it wasn't resonating with her so I start to like heckle the guy the car salesperson. Yes. Yes. Well, I was I was doing it for him, right? I was trying to get him to just like do something. Can we just be human beings? Like let's be real. And I thought that if I like led by example, uh that he would follow suit. Anyway, he didn't. My friend walked out without a car and I walked out with a job offer. Uh that guy's wow. <laughs> Yeah. That guy's boss was like you know, you, I think you got something, kid, because I was giving that that kid such a hard time. This is their top salesperson, and he was unable to to penetrate. And he was like, "Here's a woman who looks like she likes talking to strangers." Uh, and, and so, and I guess the rest is is history. Uh, there's a lot that happened in between that and me becoming a, a SaaS salesperson, but that's the long and short of how I got into sales proper. The question is on democratizing sales. How is can you dive into what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know it. Sales, particularly B2B tech sales, uh, is a homogenous in terms of the demographics, in terms of who is and is not represented. And it's not it's not homogenous, you're saying. No, it is. It is. It, it is. is yeah, because think about see, it. See, big words. We, we're not smart enough to know big <laughs> words around here. So what, what <laughs> tends to happen is, right, is, you know, it's a startup. And there it's some person, generally a young white dude who has graduated from um, generally a certain uh, set of universities and they start this business and naturally they hire themselves, right? Which is what sort of begins this, this ecosystem of B2B tech companies, again, that have just perpetuated that homogeny over over years, right? And it's the, the reason why this is a problem, uh, other than the obvious reasons of this lack of representation, is because the barrier for entry to a sales profession technically really isn't that high. So all of the things that tend to um, keep 
uh, historically disadvantaged groups out of, or historically excluded groups out of a profession, we're set up in sales to not have to do that because most times you don't have to have a college degree. And especially now we can do this job remotely, yeah. right? There's just not, not an excuse anymore for, for there to be such homogeny in terms of who is and is not represented. So I was like, can I say a cuss word? I was like, F all that. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, so yeah, so I was like, fuck that. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to perpetuate this myself. And I, I started to look at um, how I had conducted myself in, in navigating so often being um, one of only or one of a few. Um, and then I thought, hey, how do I invite more people into this profession and SDR defenders, um, because we're focusing on entry level salespeople uh, became the vehicle for that. This, that is absolutely fantastic. And I, and I want to challenge you for a second, by yeah. the way. Do you think that that starts at the university level? Tell me, I mean, I guess, explain. Yeah, I don't understand that, the question. Like, so you, you, um, you identified that these startups st uh, often come from these, these traditionally white males uh -huh. that, that graduate from these traditionally white universities, the Ivy Leagues and things like, things like that there would be more diverse entrepreneurs that would then uh, hire a less homogenous workforce. Maybe, that... uh, maybe, but if, I mean, the root cause, we don't have to get into it, but the root cause is systemic racism, right? The, the root cause is just the way America is set up, um, which we see that, and that's before people get to university, that's what's happening. But also, mm. I don't know that universities are the talent pipeline for sales jobs. I don't believe that they are right. That most of the, they don't, need, the, to they don't, they don't need, need to be, to be most of the, the most successful uh, sales leaders that I know didn't go to or complete college. So I don't know if that's it in the, the entrepreneurial path for folks yeah. that are historically excluded from that, that path I mentioned before, right? I graduated from an Ivy league school and I started a, um, a business, the entrepreneurial path for, for black people, for black women, it, it's different. It doesn't take that. I went to a university, I learned this thing and now I'm going to start a business based on this thing I learned, right? It's, it's more learning a, a trade a lot of the time. So some of my favorite entrepreneurs uh, who are black women, they're in fashion and beauty and things like that. So they're doing things that they have been doing their whole lives and have just figured out, hey, I don't have to fight for a seat at the table where I'm not welcome. I can actually go and build wealth more quickly uh, here on my own. So it doesn't, you know, the, the paths aren't parallel. How did Jen Graham get this thing going? Didn't she have another company that evolved into this? Like, what's the story? Yeah. So Civic Dinners was born uh, in the era of presidential elections and Facebook and all of the gobbledygook yeah. that we all yeah. experienced there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Jen is having these experiences, many of them involving family members and she's just trying to have conversations around a lot of the the topics that were front of mind sometimes topics that make people uncomfortable and she was yeah. like i got people unfriending me i'm out here arguing with my, my favorite cousins there's gotta be a better way right to, to talk about these things and so she came up with this framework and originally um in the the iteration of inclusive that was civic dinners, the way that she had been applying this framework was around helping civic organizations 
build bridges and engage with the communities, right? So a lot of it happened there in uh, in Atlanta. We still have really, really deep roots and do a lot of, of work with community organizing and civic organizations there in Atlanta. But of course, with COVID, like everything else, uh, a pivot needed to be made. And so now uh, the vast majority of our conversations happen online, on video conferencing, like we're doing right now. And I'm, I'm glad about it because it means that we're able to get into more organizations and teach them how to have these conversations, you know, in a yeah. way that is safe, productive, and easy. How would you go about it? I know at our company, a big initiative for us is diverse hiring. Mm -hmm. How would you go about hiring a diverse SaaS salesperson? Because we're having a hard time finding that candidate because everyone seems to be trying to hire that, that candidate. We need someone to put their hand up and someone willing to come work for us because we're willing to hire them. So, so here's the thing. If, you know, your talent pipeline in a lot of ways is as diverse as your network. So my mm. recommendation is always to check your network first. LinkedIn says that upwards of 70% of hiring happens within that hiring person's network. And so if, if you belong to a group that's historically underrepresented and you're not in those networks, you're at a disadvantage. And if you're trying to recruit and those people are not in your network, you're at a disadvantage. So a lot of the folks um, who had been doing that already have a leg up on this. Scott Lee is actually an example of that. Um, but that, that is where I would begin, I guess, at the, at the, the organizational level. I, um, I lived in Austin for seven or eight years, and there is a lot of recruiting events um, from a lot of the big tech hubs that are there, right? You had Indeed, Google, PayPal, all of those folks that have these large campuses there, and they go and recruit at UT, um, in, yeah. which is my daughter goes there, but it's not that diverse, um, and so right down the street, like minutes down the street is Houston Tillotson, uh, which is an HBCU uh, where my husband graduated from. And my advice to those companies would just be to making sure that they had, I wouldn't even say just parity in terms of the number of recruiting events that they're holding um, at one institution versus the other. I would actually yeah. be more intentional about having more here because we are trying to offset you know, centuries of a lack of representation. So that's where I would start. I love that. I, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get real real um, definitive for a second here. Um, if I was gonna if I was a sales leader and I'm gonna hire a hundred salespeople, what would good look like as far as diversity and inclusion? Ah, uh, you mean as a percentage? Absolutely. So you've got a hundred people. I would start with at the very least having that percentage reflect the percentage of the population that sure, yeah, this group go. or that um, is. Now, when we're talking about voice, right, how people, which groups do and do not get heard, critical mass is at 30%, right? But that's sort of difficult to negotiate when you're, when you have multiple groups, you can't, everybody can't be at 30% because the math doesn't work. Um, so yeah, I would start at looking at and it doesn't even have to be the national population it could be if your if your local population is not very diverse then yes yeah. you want to try that parity with the national but if you're in atlanta right yeah then where inclusive is based then yes you you want it to reflect the community that that is surrounding that organization otherwise That's it stops good. making sense 
Yeah, you know, I've heard I've heard uh, criticism of DNI initiatives that they just don't set goals. Right. They, they just say we're having, you know, yes, we want to be more diverse and we want to be more inclusive, uh, but but there's no like specific goals against which we're we're going. So I I, I appreciate your answer because it gives people a goal to shoot for. Well, I want to I want to say this before we go on. Right, I believe wholeheartedly that the people I mentioned, right, those gentlemen that come out of these Ivy League schools and start these companies, folks like you, Jamie, who are trying to be as intentional as possible about recruiting, I believe that, that these people want an inclusive team. I believe that these people, you know, want to make an impact, but like you, your questions are, are highlighting, right, there just still needs to be um, resources, education around how. That's that's why I'm so passionate about inclusive. Um, I will address uh, one other piece of your question, which is, you know, why people say DEI initiatives don't work, uh, and it is because so often it's a one-off box check. But further, mm -hmm. they're one directional, right? So either a speaker comes in, or you're sitting down and doing this training, <laughs> right? Say it's an unconscious bias training, and and then yeah. what, right? Who is teaching you how to apply that? At, yeah. the, at the place where you work so that we're, we all are enhancing each other's experiences. The reason, and that's the reason why inclusive focuses on dialogue and conversation, because that's what people are doing. They're saying, okay, I took this training about microaggressions. Now I'm going to sit here and hear and tell stories uh, and understand how those behaviors impact people's experiences and outcomes. I love that. I'm glad. So you guys have Facebook, <laughs> you know, you, you had Coca-Cola, Coca they brought you in to, have, to help them with these conversations. Like, what are the conversations that they're having when they bring you in versus without having you? Yeah, I mean, what they're really getting is our framework and our content. We have people who work really hard to research and collaborate with experts to be able to write these questions, because it's a three question framework, which if you're interested, I can share with you in a minute, but to, yeah, to write these questions, the questions. and- conversation now. Yeah, okay, so the framework is story of me, story of we, story of now. Uh, the story of me is just what it sounds like. So say we have a belonging conversation, right? We've got 50 topics or so that we've got content written for. Belonging is one of them. Uh, so in the belonging question, the story of me, I mean, the conversation, the story of me question is really simple. Right. You just you're asked about an environment or a time that makes you feel um, the highest sense of belonging. And then through people answering this question. Right. Minds get open. Perceptions get dispelled. I know that as a black woman, the expected answer from a lot of people might be me saying, well, around other black women, I feel a sense of belonging, which is true. Right. Or, you know, in, in this environment or that. But my answer, though, is actually. Um, more fun than that. My answer is karaoke. Um, that is that is where I feel uh, the highest sense of belonging. And, and that's because, look, man, at a karaoke bar, you don't even have to know how to sing and you're welcome. You don't have to have the same taste of music as everybody else and you're welcome. And that is what makes me feel a sense of belonging because I'm just a weirdo that likes to sing Britney Spears songs like everybody else. <laughs> but isn't that the... Isn't that the beautiful thing about sales, though? The only prejudice that we have is that you're not at quota. Ah, you know what? I, I don't know that that's the case. I don't know that that's the oh, case. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I really don't. I really don't. I, I think you and your team are not at quota. 
Um, just one. But but that's not I, I I'm gonna let you have the joke because we've been we've been a little heavy today. But it's not a joke. It's not a joke. It's kind of you, you have a number to hit. It's like my thoughts on this on this inclusion and everything is like I, I play ball. I was never in the service. Uh, but when you have a a bunch of people with the same goal. You know, the racism, the, all that stuff goes out the window. We just want to get to the target. So I, I kind of equate that to sales is the group needs a target to get to. The company has a goal to get to. We're all in this together, whether you're male, female, black, white, great, whatever it is, you know, we're here to get to a common goal. Do you, do you feel that way in sales or no? No, I think I think that's what we're we're recovering from, actually. I think that we kind of had these rose-colored glasses on um, that it, sh- it maybe it should be that way, right? If it's a true meritocracy, but again, mm-hmm. right? America's not a true meritocracy, so it's it, it can't be that way in this and uh, really in any environment. And so when we get into sales, because you have you do have people coming from different, as you mentioned, Pete, different socioeconomic backgrounds and and what have you, then I would say it becomes even more important to have these conversations because no matter what's happening there on the sales floor, I'm experiencing things outside of this place. It is just flat out unrealistic. And I would say unfair to ask people from groups that are going through these things to act like that's not happening or a part of who they are in this bring your whole self to work vibe that we're on right now. That, that is how belonging and inclusion become unequal because there is a set of things I can't just set down and focus on quota to an extent. There are layers of things I have to get through before I even walk through the door. And I don't need sympathy for that, but I do need a, a space that welcomes me being able to live in my authentic self and talk about my experiences in a way that isn't intended at making the majority comfortable. That's so fascinating because I've spent a lifetime and this is so educational. So like, just take this as, as you know, I'm, I'm learning. We would literally say things like that, you know, leading sales teams, your leave, leave your personal life at home. You know, which where I don't want to hear about what's going on in your personal life, and that's kind of what Pete's getting at. And yep. then we would say, "Look, this is about you know, I'm not, I, I don't care what's going on in your personal life. It's none of my business, honestly. And and uh, and I want to be focused on how to help you get the goal. What I'm hearing you say, actually, do you believe that people should be bringing their authentic self to work? Let me start with that. Yeah, and that's why I said I use the the word we're recovering from this kind of, you know, telling ourselves that it's a strictly meritocracy, uh, yeah. telling ourselves okay. that that it's even possible to yeah. leave our feelings at the door. I got to hold on, pause. I, help me out with this merit. We're, we're in sales. The, the only meritocracy is did you hit the number you were assigned to hit? Is there something else involved to keep somebody on the team? That's where I'm lost. Oh, to keep them on the team? No, everybody has to meet the same standard. What I'm pointing out, what I'm pointing out is that not everybody has to go through the same things to meet that standard. Not everyone is having the same experience. And these things impact 
performance. There's this book that's called Whistling Vivaldi, uh, and it follows this research over, I think, a course of 20 years where they study this concept it is called stereotype threat. Everyone is actually subject to it. White men, black women, everyone, right? And all it means is if you are aware of the perception that someone from your background is bad at something or is not you know, traditionally successful in this area or that, yes, and the more you care about that, yes, the harder you will try but that hard trying is often not healthy mentally because it's not coming from the most healthy place. We don't often, as people who come from these groups, have the benefit of only considering what's happening when we're in the building. And the research says, again, this has a negative impact. What they did was they, they, brought, a, they brought women in in one of the experiments and they had some literature that they had them read ahead of time that just mentioned this idea that women are bad at math. And then there was a set of women that weren't shown that. And wouldn't you know it, over and over again, those that had been reminded of that stereotype that they were trying to overcome did not perform as well as the ones who were not reminded of it. So just, just knowing that those perceptions exist and understanding wow. what you're having to, come o to overcome, there's a lot of energy that you don't see that is, that is spent trying to overcome that. And it absolutely impacts people's experience at work. It absolutely can impact performance. That's awesome. So sh should we give them a lower Thank quarter you. then? No, that's not what she's saying. She's not no, saying that's what I'm, at all. No, I'm just, I mean, we, we, at the end of the day, you're a sales manager, you're a CRO, and you have somebody that hasn't made quarter for three months and depending on their background, they had a good background, background, uh, good or bad background, wh whatever the circumstances is, they haven't hit quota for three months in a row. What do you do? You fire them. Yeah, that's right. See, see okay. I, think, I think you're slightly missing the point. And this is so enlightening to you because, know, you know, there's, there's oh, this, he's, there's he's this trying old... to learn, so he's trying to ask questions. No, this is awesome, though. And, and he's missing the point, but not because you're like a blockhead. I'm just saying, like, this is no. This is, no, this is I'm I I don't I love answering these questions. These are these are very common questions, right? Yeah. It's, it's a barrier for a lot of people, particularly white men who are not from affluent backgrounds. Because the truth is, right, it's really difficult to take the step and say, "Well, I had it tough too," right? So if if I receive you telling me that you know this environment needs to be. Uh, intentional about getting this group of folks in here, intentional about making sure this group of folks is, um, you know, comfortable or has access to a sense of belonging. It can feel like preferential treatment, but it's not for the reasons that I just mentioned, because, you know, all up and down, presumably the things that you did go through or had to fight through and work hard through, it ne wasn't necessarily because of a group that you belong to. It was not because of perceptions of a group that you belong to. It was not because of systems that historically disadvantaged that group. And that's the difference. I, you know, I, let, let me see if I hear you correctly, Nikki, because this, this is, there's a, there's a great book uh, called The One Minute Sales Manager. And there's a phrase that I picked out of this long ago, and it says, manage everybody fairly, but not necessarily equally. And people can get confused about, you know, what that means. What we're saying is, or what this phrase indicates, is that everybody has a standard against which they should be performing. In mm -hmm. sales, there's a quota. You have to a certain amount of dials or 
talk time or whatever it is. And that standard is very set and it's very fair and everybody should be managed fairly. However, when you're talking to the individual, you don't just say this person, I manage this person this way and everybody else is managed the exact same way. What I'm hearing you say is when people bring their authentic self to work, the burden on the manager, and I mean burden like a challenge, is that they need to look at each individual where this, there's the standard that they're being measured, the quota, the talk time, the appointments held, but yet managed differently based on how they show up to work. The, the, and being cognizant, if I'm hearing you correctly, being cognizant of where they've come from and the things that are important to them and the challenge that they've faced is important in being able to manage a diverse team. Yeah, I mean, that's saying? that's true really no matter who you're you're leading, right? Um, or parenting for that matter, right? People are going to have different needs. But the the again, I, I want to make sure I'm clear about what this nuance is. I don't have the luxury of only representing myself as an individual when I'm in an environment and I'm the only black woman. My, the, my experience has been that people, if I'm around people who have already had limited experience with or access to black women, they have questions about black people. And they, most of the time, innocently are asking me those questions, but think about that. Think about, this is another part of this stereotype threat that I mentioned. The weight yeah. of, if I come in here and I know I'm the only black woman, and I know this is the beginning of this five, 10 year old company, I'm the first one. My questions about why, First of all, I have to keep those to myself a lot of the time, but my questions about why are starting to happen. And if the answer that I come up with in the absence of someone calling this out proactively, the answer that I come up with is because they perceive hiring a black woman as more of a threat or as Pete alluded to as lowering the bar. If, if that's what I have a perception of, then the pressure is so much heavier than every other salesperson because now if I don't do well, are they gonna never hire another black woman? If I mm, if I don't hit quota, will will I be will it be will and will, will the perceptions then start to spiral into already existing negative perceptions wow. about black women? When I am passionate, when I am confident, am I going to also be reminding people of some of the negative stereotypes about black women? So there absolutely is a tightrope that I'm walking along with all the other shit that comes with yeah. being a salesperson. Your responsibilities are bigger than yourself. It is what it is. It's kind of what I was getting at with sales. It's objective. You know, all this other subjective stuff, I don't, I don't get. Uh, 13% of the United States is African-American, all right? So if you have one or two, you got 10 people on the team, one or two African-American, okay, is that diverse? I don't know. I just want 10 people to hit quota, you know, black, white, gay, straight, whatever it is, you know, we, I got to get to that number, and that's kind of where I'm going. And I don't understand the subjective side of things. Now, this is only the first show we've, Nikki, we got to yeah. bring you on because you know, yeah. it's a thick head. I got to get you, you got <laughs> you know, to work to get into it, but may, maybe we can go on to another uh, question because it didn't take hold. What is psychological safety? It's where a leader demonstrates a level of vulnerability and candor with a team that encourages them to be able to do that back. What happens is, and again, when I'm talking about sales culture, what I mean is we, we have been in this environment where it's like, all I want are people to hit quota. Well, that's robots. 
people mm. hitting quota need to be able to acknowledge their own humanity, especially because so much of this profession asks us to be good at sales. You have to care about other people all day long. You have to be caring about your customers, your prospects, their experiences, empathy. We, this all got really buzzy in 2020, right? Selling with empathy. So you're asking me to give that all day long and never even acknowledge my need to get it? No. No, it's why Uncrushed, it's why Uncrushed exists. It's why we focus on uh, the state of mental health in sales. We actually did a survey last year. Um, I, I can share with you the results if you're interested, but four out of five salespeople, right? Reporting mental health issues, right? Four to five and, and pretty high, pretty high levels of, of salespeople reporting yeah. substance abuse issues. Would be higher. Right, exactly. <laughs> Six out of five, see, your mouth is off. Sex is not easy. It sucks, especially yeah. when you're on BDR. Yeah, but, 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 when we, but when we accept that and we don't yeah. try and, and attend to people's wellness, that's how we run thoughtful people out of the profession. Yeah. There, there's a, in Jerry Maguire, the, the salesperson that, that they profile, he says, he says, you can't sell anybody if you don't love everybody. And there's a, there's a little bit of truth to that. And one of my former sales managers, Nikki, uh, taught me, uh, he says, Kevin, you got to be, a, as a leader, you got to be a love cat. I'm like, what do you mean by being a love cat? And he's like, you are so California, dude. I know. Wow. Right? You got, but, but you got to like, you know, you got to, you know, and I say this with interviewing, you kind of have Nikki, to. Nikki, I'm in Chicago. Life. I'm in Chicago, just so you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you, Sorry, you John. With every hire you make, Nikki, you kind of have to fall in love with them just a, just a little bit and care about what they're what they're doing. And what you're saying is show them that you care. Yeah. Otherwise, in this hot job market. Right. Like people aren't going to stand for that. I'm not going to stand for working at a place that's like I, I care about you hitting quota and that's it. I'm not going to work at a place like I'm not going to work at a place that's literally counting how many black people are in the building. Say what? What? Then you get hashtag me too. What is that? I mean? care too much. I get I care no, too much about it. No, that's you're you're conflating, dude. You're conflating. Let's change gears. What is like conflating? Scott, you're mixing it up. You're you're mixing two topics, man. All what right. Is it like working for Scott Lease. That guy is a badass, and I've hired people that used to work for him, and they're like Scott Lease is a badass. But I want to you hear know, from you. What was I like often say, everyone that works for me, I often say I'm loyal to the people, not as much to the company. Because I want to make sure everyone I hire, everyone on my team, and everyone I interact with are people that I can call on to help them out, and they can call on me to help them out. And I, I feel like the personal element, I always say you need to acknowledge the personal element and try to in, uh, try to minimize it from impeding you at, on, on your daily duties and help them through that journey. Um, and that's just my, my take. I don't, you know, I don't... I, I just but want to your, your duty as a leader is you have somebody that wants to get somewhere and you have to remove the obstacles. That's what yeah. your job is. 100%. Right? And that's it. As long as you're doing that. Some of it is coaching through. People are doing that. If you're a good leader, that's what you're doing. You're removing obstacles for your people. All right. Right. Sometimes one of those obstacles is a lack of access to a sense of belonging. And so that is why inclusive leadership is important. But to, with mm -hmm. respect to Scott Lease, um, which, by the way, you know, my, my bio, you see, it says 99 percent of the time I was the only one. His was the most diverse team I've ever worked on. 
Uh, and it was, what company was that? Outbound Engine. It was my very first Outbound. SaaS sales job. Um, but so I have to tell this story. I, I remember I was top of my training class, my rookie class there at Outbound Engine. Uh, we had a quota of getting one sale after the 31st, 30 days. I had three. It was a whole thing. And then, of course, the sophomore slump hits. And baby girl was not ready. OK, I, I didn't even know it was a yeah. thing. And so I'm just yeah. like. I, I am the same person. Aren't I still, you know, a good, good noodle? What is happening? And so I had this one-on-one -on -one set with Scott. He ends up having to, to travel, but because he is the great human that he is, he called me from the airport to keep yeah. this meeting that he had set with me, to keep this one-on-one -on -one meeting that he had set with me. And his coaching for me was very simple. He was like, you take too much time punishing yourself for every little failure. And for you, every phone call where someone doesn't buy something is a failure. It's true. It's true. Maybe that's from my car sales days. But if somebody came and talked to you about a car and they left, you got roasted the rest of the day. Uh, so, which is a skin thickener if ever there was one. But anyway, right. He's like, he's like, we don't do that here because it's not productive. Um, and he basically put me on notice. He was like, you wallow in that if you want to, you're getting attention from me because I see something in you, but yeah. that attention can go away very quickly. If, if I give you this coaching and I don't see you taking it. Um, yeah. and so that to me is the, at the heart of why people like working for Scott Lease, it's because mm -hmm. he is very good at giving you, you know, tough pills to swallow without mm -hmm. a, without a spoonful of sugar, let me tell you, but there's mm -hmm. still something where you understand that it's coming from a place of, of genuinely caring about you. It's probably because he's so uh, forthcoming about his own, you know, struggles and his own story. Um, mm -hmm. But that was, I think it was a really, really great way to start. Not to, other than that, it was a really strong culture of training. Yeah. And I haven't met a person that writes a, a cold sales script, especially for a full cycle rep, as good as Scott Lee's. Don't tell him that, he will get a big head. Just, uh, I hope he's not listening. <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, He's and, a friend. Richard Harris are great on the on the show. What is the sophomore slump, and what how now that you lead people, how do you help your teams, your your new hires avoid the sophomore sophomore slump? Well, when we're salespeople, we get excited, and if you're like me, you get a little cocky. You feel me? Like I, <laughs> I get, I feel myself a lot. I think there is some element. Right. Because uh, I'm not trying to throw that baby out with the bathwater, even as I'm working on improving sales culture. Like we're still allowed to get rowdy. Like we're still allowed to be like feeling our popping our collars. And we should. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the ways that we cope, actually. But you do that too much and you forget how you got successful in the first place. You stop. You 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 begin to lose respect for the process the nuts and bolts, the individual things you need to execute on a daily basis, on a consistent basis to get there because you have started to believe that I'm a sales artist to hell with the science. <clears throat> and now 
you think you can yeah. just get in there and you don't you don't know you're a lot of the time I, I guess i didn't know i was doing it but you don't know that you're abandoning that stuff and you don't know that you're yeah. in there winging it but you yeah. start to think that you know the customer better than they know themselves you know the script better than it knows itself so you have to look at it so the way that i have recovered from that because it, it happened um, the way that that i coach my team to recover from it as well is just a few things. Go back and listen to my old phone calls and not just to critique myself because that's that punishing yourself for doing wrong that I, that I was in a terrible habit of doing, but to listen mm -hmm. to how do people respond to me? Oh, people like me. You know what I'm saying? Like, what was I saying that was working? Oh, it was the stuff that was in the script because the script worked. You know, how many calls was I actually making? Was my heart in it, you know, for the last 50 of, of 75, right? And, and you find yourself again. And along with that, you remember that you have done tough things before. You have faced adversity before and overcome it. And when you put those two things together and, and this sort of acceptance of the fact that maybe you are going back to basics and back to square one and that's okay, in fact, the greats are doing that or are winning off of that kind of foundation. That's how you get yourself out of it. And there's levels to how uh, intentional or, or what that looks like for everyone. I can tell you that when it was at Outbound Engine for me, I had a little note card and I drew little bubbles on it for how many phone calls I was making. And I filled in a bubble and I needed to have 30 bubbles filled in before I took lunch. I needed yeah. to. That's that's how I had to train myself. And, and then I just came in and it was just part of my my morning later in my career when the the slumps i felt like the stakes were higher you know than that first job then then i had to really hold myself accountable and i kept a journal i went into this with a high level of curiosity about myself right are you built for this or not nah? do you want this or not nah? right and so mm. i i wrote down what time i came in every morning again i wrote down and but at this time i would do it at the end of the day right mm -hmm. I wouldn't think about it until the end of the day. And then I'd be like, okay, Nikki, here's a day where I was, I was an SDR at this point. Uh, here's a day when you didn't set any meetings. Why? Well, let's write down what time you got in today, right? You took advantage mm -hmm. of the fact that you uh, sailed to the West Coast. So you, you rolled up in here at 9, 30, 10 o'clock, right? Thinking, <laughs> thinking it was cute. And then, and then the months where you blew out your quota, you made X amount of dials. You made 30% of that amount of dials today. So, ma'am, where are we expecting yeah. these results to come from? But again, I was so on autopilot of feeling sorry for myself and of, again, right, just being so mad at myself for losing that I forgot how I won. And, and when I went, this is, that was my breakthrough um, moment as far as overcoming a, a rut. It, I, I found out, hey, this works. I ended up tripling my quota after after two months, like I'm on a pip at that point, right? After two months of not hitting quota and just being like, oh, it's the lead. Oh, it's my manager. Oh, it's all these things. And honestly, it was me. It was me the whole time. Cause so I just needed to see it in front of me and uh, and pick myself up. Nikki, talk to me. What, what is your feedback system? Whether it's one-on-ones, quarterly reviews, peer managers, like how many managers do you have? How many employees does the manager have? What, what does that look like? We're a pretty lean team. So I have a manager and two reps. And so 
one of the things that I think has been really important um, is to have pipeline meetings separate from one on ones, which I know is not revolutionary. Um, but, yeah, but how often do you have one on ones? One on one is once a week. Okay, got it. All right. Yeah, we start our our week. My my as a as a leader, my Monday is all one on ones. In, in that meaningful conversation, what's going on in that? Because we have some new leaders that are listening to the show. Like what usually goes on in that? So, the, and I have it mapped out minute by yeah. minute. Um, so the top of the call is, of course, always asking about the person. Um, just giving them the space and opportunity to tell me anything they need to. Uh, and then we we do get into what the, their priorities are for the week. Um, bigger than their priorities, though, again, what do they want to produce this week? Uh, and then I just have them tell me what their plan is to produce that. And we talk about how that plan compares to other successful weeks, much like what I was just uh, just telling you a minute ago. And then, you know, we close it out with a commitment, right? Not a commitment to me, a commitment to that salesperson's own self um, as far as what they're going to produce. And then in the pipeline meeting, the responsibility is not to blow smoke, right? I'm not that sales leader that wants you to lie to me about what's in your pipeline so that I can go tell some board, but I don't need that. Um, but I, I do need, I do need you to be, just own it. Like at this point, if, if this deal here is stalled because you brought in the senior stakeholders too late in the process and now you're endlessly following up with your champion who has ceased championing you, like just tell me that and then I can coach around it. But this business of them, I've done it. I won't say we've all done it, but I've certainly done it where it's like, I'm, yeah. I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, no, no, no. I just called her last week and uh, no, ma'am, yeah. like just don't do that. And so then, yeah. yeah, so, so we're getting not simply like, is this, did this close or not? Is this closing in this week or not? But like, what is happening here? And where are the entry points where we can proactively come in and try to pull this over the line or at least learn a lesson that's going to help us moving forward? The, the number one thing I try to tell sales leaders, especially in our organization around that now, is one-on-one, -on -one, in my opinion, can morph very quickly into deal review. Yep. And it should be more focused on the metrics for the week and what and their future. So I always say one-on-ones on Monday should be focused on pipeline. If you need to have a deal review, that's a, that should not invade your one-on-ones. One-on-ones should be about coaching. And then even more important than one-on-ones, your team meetings. Uh, I think a lot of people forget, especially in the remote work environment, team meetings. Team meetings are very powerful where you can do role playing. Everyone hates role playing, but it's a great way to enable frontline leaders on how to on how to get people through. Yeah, still that's still one of the scariest pieces of sales to me is role playing. Uh, back at Outbound Engine, this girl just lit me up. Okay, she lit me up. And I fixed my face to say, she didn't let me get through the script. That made my manager so angry. She didn't let you. She didn't let you. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And so, yes, it is the scariest piece. It is also the piece that made me stronger, but I hate it. I don't know if I'll ever embrace what it feels like to be all like in front of your peers about to like fail. I hate it so much, but it's necessary. Yes, I think the scariest part is if you have somebody on your team that doesn't have a reason why they're doing the job, that's the scariest thing because they oh, yeah. don't have a goal. They don't have a reason for being there and you're forcing them to do something that they don't want to do. 
it was a mishire. That's the scariest. Whatever, that's just, you know. No, yeah, no, it, it definitely is. When I get into a conversation, a lot of the time I've, I've, I've uh, like, I joined a team and I'm inheriting a team, right? This will happen. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the first questions I ask when I'm interviewing these reps that I've inherited is, do you believe that you are an elite salesperson? They're going to tell me yes or no. Do you want to, if the answer is no, like, do you want to be? It's difficult to get people to be forthcoming about that. I've been lucky, right? And then, then I can figure things out from there, right? So if being an elite salesperson is not a part of your, sale, your self-actualization, doesn't actually mean that you can't be successful in a sales role. It just means now I know where to push you and where not, right? If because I still I need I need all the players, right? I need A players, I need B players, right? So there's still a there's a role for you here. If you are that back that's going to get me X hundred, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> rushing yards in the season, I need them rushing yards. So so I just figure out who to push and where. So I'm asking the, those two questions. Do you believe you're um an elite salesperson slash do you want to be? And then the next question is always what moves you? I ask it very specifically, not what do you like? What are your hobbies? What moves you? And if a person, any answer is the right answer if it involves passion. If I can't pull out of you something that yearns to win something, that yearns to become something, that's that's when you're a bad hire. That's when I can't work with you because I can teach you the processes. I can teach you the skills. And even if you just repeat after me, as far as I have a call, speaking of entry-level salespeople, then then yeah, we can figure it out. But if, if you just don't care, as Pete was saying, I can't, I can't do anything with you. That's awesome. Nikki, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm sorry. Time's out. I could have gone at it with you for another hour. Oh my gosh. Repeat, repeat guests. Thank you so much. This was fun. I learned a lot. I like being challenged, so that was good. We got to the words and the women in charge. We didn't quite get to the wigs, but that's okay. Next time. (laughs) What's the best way for the listeners to learn more about you, Nikki? Um, LinkedIn, obviously. I I post the most content there on, on LinkedIn. I do also tweet from time to time. B2B Tech Sales Twitter is alive and jumping, y'all. At no Nikki Ivy, uh, not no as in rejection, uh, but as in get to know. So K N O W Nikki Ivy on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so Thanks. much. Great show, great show, guys, gals. Thanks for listening to the Sassholes. On behalf of Jamie KG and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. We ask that you give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to our newsletter and the podcast notes. And you can always buy us a beer on Patreon slash Sassholes. We thank you for listening. Cue the music. <laughs>